0: It is a precious moment when God's Holy Spirit especially makes Himself known to us. He is the one who inspired the writing that we read tonight. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. You will see it on the screen in the New American Standard version of the Bible. The writer says, Therefore, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My theme this evening, Jesus, his life, my motto. Ah, Let's pray together, can we? Thank you, Lord, for being here. Oh, we're assured from your word that you would be here for we have gathered in your name and certainly in some cosmic way there is no place where you are not. But tonight you made your presence known to us. And in that moment, Father, worship was so right, so natural, so real to us. It's not a question of our worthiness. We know better than that. It's an issue of your grace by that promise of how you would work in us and among us and within us. We have known you this evening. Thank you so very much. Father, the needs that are among us, we pray that you would answer them in your miraculous gracious provisions. We especially would remember our professor, our friend, your, your servant, Professor Ron Attig as he, as he looks toward that tomorrow morning when he, when he will meet with the one who will minister to him with modern medicine. May that ministry be your ministry before it is anyone else's. we pray And now for this evening, continue to meet with us, we pray, in the name of Jesus, and may we see him clearly tonight. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I am so pleased that you are here. I'm pleased I'm here. Uh, Just everybody's got to be somewhere, as near as I can tell. And uh, this. I have some unfinished business. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a 25 minute sermon that I've got to try to cut down to about 10, or 15 minutes, but I've got some unfinished business, I really do. I, for, for those of you who are new students and attended the New Student Orientation, I, I've, I've, I've got to ask you to, to help me. Um, and for, uh, for about 17 years, Dr. Paul Cunningham was uh, our pastor at College Church in Olathe, Kansas, and in the last dozen years, for those of you who may not know him, he has been a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, a great preacher, a great statesman of God, very, gen- and, and so wise. I, I was speaking to him once, and, and I was complaining about something that someone had done that just seemed out of character and really j- just, it aggravated me, and I, I said to him, "Now, why would why would they do that?" He looked at me and said, "Temporary insanity." <laughs> I said, "What?" He said, "Oh," he said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, anytime someone anytime someone does something that you just can't explain, and you just just say, well, temporary insanity, and pass it off." And he said, "They'll be better soon enough." So, so. Saturday of New Student Orientation, I was going through my spiel and I had this little place in there where I was talking about a, what a great faculty we have and that's true. Don't you think we have a great faculty? Yeah, it's wonderful, yeah. And I was I was making that point and I, I said we have, we, we have a wonderful faculty yeah? uh, and we don't pay them a third of what they're worth. But I have this little lingering memory back there that at, one time I may have said instead we have a wonderful faculty they're not worth a third of what we pay them. <laughs> temporary insanity, okay? <laughs> Believe me, that's not the way to to uh, be a leader of the greatest faculty in the, in the world. So so the, take care of that unfinished business. Thank you for, for giving me I, right about there, I expected an amen from some... From some oh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. That captures the essence of the verse that uh, Professor Dr. Like preached about last night. and yeah, it, was, it was powerful. Great. Spoke right to me because it was Bible truth. And there's something powerful about Bible truth. And, and so tonight, I, I want to take that same sort of idea and take a different grip on it. See if we can wrestle it in a different way, but probably say pretty much the same sorts of things. I, I have a fascination with biblical combinations. Uh, Combinations. Let me me give you an example of what I mean from science, okay, or the natural sciences. Uh, We've all heard about oxygen and hydrogen. We know all about them. There's oxygen and hydrogen in the air and and around us and and they're, they're both gases. And you can mix them if you wish and you have a mixture of oxygen and hydrogen. But a spark will turn them into water. Now, who would figure that? Two things that are gases in a spark become life-giving water. You see, there's a difference between mixing things and combining them. We have a a real penchant for either-or stuff, you know. It's either this or that. It's It's either gas or liquid. It's one or the other. You can't have them both and the truth is that most often the most powerful things we read in scripture become powerful when we combine them and not just mix them. Have you ever heard someone say well it's it's either law or grace it ain't both of them and usually the ain't is peculiar to people who make those sorts of statements. The fact is that it is both law and grace. And properly combined, it makes our lives more powerful. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about the kind of mixture that we might find right here. So I'm going to do this by asking you to visualize some things. In fact, as I have about three or four visualizations I'd like for you to join with me in accomplishing. First visualization, okay. Uh, it's called the faith road. The eleventh chapter of Hebrews most of you will recognize and if not yet you haven't taken intro to the New Testament in the winter term you'll take we'll take care of that and you'll see it. Because the the eleventh chapter of Hebrews is the great faith road story in the New Testament. It begins with a, a bit of a description not a full definition but a certainly a powerful description of what faith is and then it begins talking about some of the people that are on the faith road or at least have been my goodness the list is long Abel son of Adam Enoch you know the guy who was not because God took him (laughs) that's kind of an intriguing idea one day I might be gone and you can say oh he's like Enoch God just took him. My wife prays, oh, oh, never mind, I, sorry about that. She told me to say something funny, sorry. The whole, look at the list. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How about how about Sarah and Joseph and Moses? Rahab the harlot is mentioned, which is an interesting thing for, and I'll let you figure that out some other way. And on and on, these are, these are real heroes of faith. They were on the faith road. Uh, but, but the story of the faith road is not always a happy one, you see. Uh, there are other people mentioned too, people who died, who, who gave up their sons and daughters to torture. There were those who who were hungry and cold and imprisoned and sick, deserted. It's not always happy. The faith road exits the Old Testament and enters the New Testament and runs right through it. In fact, it runs right up until today. If we believe what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Because he steps back. Verse 39 of... uh, Of the 11th chapter, he writes, uh, They, those heroes of faith, were approved by God, but they did not receive what was promised. In verse 40, he says, Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they, those heroes of faith, should not be made perfect. Now, you can scratch your head and wonder what in the world he's talking about. I'm telling you what he's talking about. The faith faith road will not end until that day when Jesus will come back again and begin to dismantle this old order and begin putting the heavenly kingdom really in, in place. That's when the faith road will end in something that is glorious. But until then, there is this wonderful little division. Old Testament faith heroes running through the New Testament right up to us and saying that there is something about the connection here. That means that we're in the process of perfecting what those heroes began. And so when it begins the 12th chapter, verse 1, it says, these folks, those heroes, are surrounding us. And they're watching, and because of that, there are certain admonitions in this scripture that we need to pay attention to. So, you visualize the road. Secondly, let's talk about the faith destination. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, talks about this pretty clearly. For me, and maybe for most Perhaps even all of us out there. The first time I did real business with God, it was because I was scared to death that the sins I was carrying were going to take me to hell. I mean, let's be frank about it. Now, I was young, but I've known other people who were old who were just as scared, maybe even more scared, than I was at age eight. I felt flames beginning to lick around my feet. The Holy Spirit took that opportunity, and he made me even more fearful, and then the glorious words were spoken, but if you'll invite Jesus Christ to live in your heart, he will wash those sins away, he'll forgive them, he'll remember them against you no more, they'll be as far as the east is from the west from you, and you will have brand new life, you will be a new person in Christ. Glory to God. What a wonderful thing. I, for one, am very thankful for preachers and teachers and godly people whose lives and and witness made me come face to face with exactly what I needed to do about the sin that was in my life. It is the essence of the gospel. It's why we're here. Because we believe that to be true. We've experienced it to be true. The problem is that for most of us in those early encounters the images of sin and the weight we carried in them were so great that we have a hard time getting past that and find out what, what this really is all about. So visualization number two. You look up from accepting Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Wherever it was, whenever it was, however it was, just think of that moment. If you're any way at all typical, you blinked your eyes a few times, you took a deep breath and said, why this, this is wonderful. My sins are gone. I'm washed clean. I'm a new person. Wow. I didn't know it was this good. And you stood up and you hugged somebody and said, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. <laughs> and then somewhere soon, the voice of scripture says, okay, you're right, it's wonderful, but now it's time to get down to business for what this is all really about. God's final purpose for your life. And you blink and say, wait a minute, hold on now. <laughs> this is it, I, I, I want to build that dwelling that tent that tabernacle like like those three disciples of jesus did when they were up there on that mount i i i want to camp here a little this is too good oh this is heavenly air and the holy spirit the voice of scripture says okay take a moment but you've got to move on you say okay so so what's next Where, where do i go if this if this isn't it what is it what what is god's purpose for my life And the voice of scripture says, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, Uh, certainly, certainly Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you could have new life, but he lives by his Holy Spirit in your heart so that that new life will be Christ's life in you. You say, okay, all right, sure. Sure. Show me where the racetrack is. I'm ready to go. Pull off your coat and kick on your, off your shoes and put on some some track shoes. And you say, I can do this. I've got new legs. I've got new, I, I got new lungs. I, I've got wings. I can do this. And off you go. And the echoing voice of Scripture says, Don't be too surprised at some of the conditions you'll find along the track, but you don't hear them because the road is so easy right now. (laughs) What a vision, and it's true. It's happened to me that way, and it's happened to so many people I've heard about that it just, it's just the way it works. For you see, in our enthusiasm, off we go and we think it's now up to us. In fact, in fact, not only are we sure it's up to us, we're sure we can handle it. This is just too good a thing. We can do it. The faith destination, however, still stands some good distance off. Because, you see, God's way of making that destination true is by making sure you experience the kind of things that you have along the way. So, God intends for you to capture the real image of Christ in you, the the image of God. What was lost is now to be restored. So you say, that's it. I can do this. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 in the message reads this way. And it's just too good not to, not to spend some time on. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now, now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. And I need that. Third visualization, and I've worked on this one, so I may actually read this one so we get it right. If I can find out where it begins. You're on the road of faith, and as you go along, you take a deep breath, and you say, I'm going to just walk for a little while, catch my breath, and, and you come to a to an area that seems to be overgrown in some way, and, and so you plow right into it, and you walk along, and suddenly you feel the branches, and the leaves, and the... And the vines begin to pick at you and pluck at you and some of them are sharp and some of them pinch you and jab you and you slow down more and more and more and finally, finally you stop dead in your tracks right in the middle of everything. And you hold still. Sure, there's a little, there's a little jab here and there, but by and large, if you hold real still, nothing hurts. Hey, says the voice of Scripture, what's up with you? Your progress is uh, is almost nothing. And you say, almost is not the right word. It's nothing right now. It, it, this hurts. What do you mean? And so you you whine a little bit and tell the, the voice of Scripture all about it and says, Oh, says the voice of Scripture, you're, you're in, the, in the weed path, patch of of acceptable discomfort. The weed patch of acceptable discomfort. To move, to change positions would hurt more than holding just as still as you possibly can. It is interesting, Richard Taylor in the Beacon Bible Commentary seems to follow the lead of Adam Clark in a very old and yet powerful commentary. And they suggest together that buried in this first verse of Hebrews chapter 12 is a special meaning. It's that that phrase that says something about the sin which does so easily entangle us. Now, now certainly, it, it means that all sin always seems to be just around the corner, ready to tempt us and grab us if it possibly can. It's the nature of sin. It, it always wants more of us. But they said there are some constructions here that I don't understand, perhaps Dr. Powers can explain them, but there are some constructions here that made those two scholars in vastly different time periods. Think that maybe what scripture is talking about here, well, let me see. There are these sins which seem to be peculiar to my situation. Those sins which no matter where I seem to go, they are always there. I don't know don't even think that maybe they're the same set that everyone else has but they sure seem to like me and maybe maybe I kinda like them too and I am stuck there I am stuck there in circumstantial sin sin that is my sin because it is in my circumstances and I fight against it and I get little bitty victories over it and then I relax and it just seems to be nudging me again, jabbing me again and robbing me of my spiritual vitality and all progress is lost because I don't want to move any further. what do i do i whine again to the voice of scripture and the voice said watch and then out of the corner of my eye i see someone striding purposefully right through that patch of weeds they go they hey, whoever it is goes past me and i can't even catch my breath they are so purposeful they're just gone and i said what was that the voice of scripture said oh that's jesus i said what's he doing Voice of Scripture says, He's scorning. Scorning? Yeah, he, he's enduring the cross. He's despising the shame. He's scorning all of these circumstances that just seem to have you all wrapped up. You watch him. You see, it's not going to slow him down, he knows where he's going. He's been down the path before. These things are going to be brushed past him, gone. Not going to affect him. Human though he is and God though he is, he has his eye on the prize. Jesus is the one who makes it happen. But now here's... Here's the combination where it makes it different from just a mixture. You see, we tend to think that it's our doing. And then we graduate to where we think that if we will just pick a better model, that too will be enough. Now, I assure you, taking our eyes off ourselves and putting them on Jesus goes a very long way. But this scripture isn't just about using Jesus as a better example. This scripture is about letting him make his life true in us. May I read to you from the message again, this time from Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. You can read with me if you like. Paul is writing to the Galatians. He says, you crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did, you, how did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what God, what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? It's talking about Christ-likeness, you know. Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? Nothing is it not it is not yet a total loss but it certainly will be if you keep this up answer this question he says does the god who lavishly provides you with his own presence his holy spirit working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you still talking about the faith road because trust is at the essence and even though scripture admonishes us on the one hand to be obedient to to persevere to discipline yourselves to prepare yourselves even though it says that scripture knows that unless you combine that with the personal miraculous power of the holy spirit in you it can never happen it is that mixture It is that combination, excuse me, it is that combination that makes for the power in this. So, Jesus is our model. He defines what is meant by Christ-likeness. He alone, in us, combining both faith and obedience is the only way to make it true, only way to make it sure. And make sure that the Christ-likeness that we desire, for which we were designed and built, will be a reality. We're going to sing together. Chaplain, come lead us. And then we'll have our final prayer.